We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be Well, I want to talk to you today in the last sermon on the Live a Life of Courage series. We've been looking at Elijah. One of my favorite characters in the Bible, he is one brave dude. I mean, he has risked his life over and over again and had very rough situations that he lived in. And he just sacrificed and he did it for God and God did amazing miracles in his life. Today, as we end the series, I want to talk to you about the portion of the scripture in 1 Kings 19 where Elijah passes the mantle to a younger man, Elijah. And that means that he, he's transferring the ministry to a younger man. He's about to leave the scene. And I've entitled this sermon, Passing God's Mantle on to the Next Generation. Years ago, I've, I've had the privilege of being in several hundred churches to speak. And because I traveled in my youth a lot and have had those opportunities, I've seen a lot about the body of Christ that other people haven't uh, seen as broadly. And there are some wonderful churches, and, and all the people are wonderful. I love them all, but there are some churches that just, I don't know how they think anybody's ever going to want to come when you, when you see what they're doing. Uh, I remember one time I was a young man, came into this situation, beautiful building, a sanctuary that seated about 400, and there were 12 people in the house. And I thought, oh, bummer. And they were between pastors, but still, it was just weird. Their pastor had just left. And, um, so we started the service, and then I knew why. There was one guy with a guitar who was in his 80s, had a certain Western style, and two of the biggest hearing aids you've ever heard in, or seen. You can't hear hearing aids, but you can see them uh, in your life. And <clears throat> he started playing, and he wasn't too bad, but he was playing in a different key than the person was singing in, who was up front. And then, to make matters worse, when the guy changed courses from the front, the leader the guitar player stayed in the same song. So he's playing one song, the guy's singing another. And it was just like, oh my word. Then the guy leading worship would walk over to this transparency and turn it over and come back like 30 feet and then he'd start the next course. And it was just, it was terrible. And I just thought, no wonder no one shows up here. They're not ready for anyone. And here's what I think. I think it's a problem when one generation misses passing the mantle to the other. They were all older people, no younger people would want to be there because there was nothing there for them. We're going to talk about that today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would meet us in a great way. Lord, you are here and you are going to speak to hearts. I thank you, Lord, that we don't gather just to, uh, just to worship and, uh, and, and just to talk to you, but you talk to us. Meet us by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start in verse 19 of chapter 19 in 1 Kings. First point I have today, the older generation must be willing to make way for the new. It says in the word, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak 
across his shoulders and then walked away. So in those days, the prophet would wear a cloak, like a cape, and it was usually a an animal skin of some sort that was hairy looking and it signified to the people of God in Israel that this was the office of the prophet. Actually, the Catholics kind of carried on a a tradition of that with their popes a a, a little bit in in the capes that that you'll see them wearing still these days. But... But it, was, it, it showed that this was the prophet. So when he takes the cape off his own back, Elijah, this man of God who's coming in his, his ministry, walks through this farm, and I just think it's interesting. You know, there was a school of prophets in these days. But you didn't find the next prophet that God was calling in the school of prophets. You found him at a farm, working. I think that's interesting. God calls whom he calls when he wants to call them. And so we all have to be ready. That's kind of exciting because you never know. It could be you as you're living your life for, uh, for Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but not only was it the, the sign of a prophet, but when he threw it over him, Elisha knew at that moment that he was saying, you're the next one that will take my place. God is calling you. Well, that must have been a, 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 a moment for him to just reflect deeply how could this how could this be I think maybe there's a little bit more going on too because you can see it in the scriptures that the action of throwing that over his shoulders constitutes kind of a spiritual adoption that's taking place here too and we see it in second kings 2 12 because a father naturally clothes his children and so that action kind of kind of says to him you're called but you're going to be my spiritual son and we see in second kings 2 12 Elisha saw this and cried out this is Further down the road, another story, but you see the relationship. My father, my father. So he became a spiritual son, too, when he accepted that call. So let's talk about this. I find that it's difficult for the older generation in many situations to to pass down the things of God and let, let younger people take hold of the ministry and the things that God's called them to. Here are some reasons I think that the older generation doesn't like to transfer the mantle. And let's remember, it's a problem if we don't transfer it along the way. We don't transfer the mantle because we like what we're doing. And we want to keep doing it. We don't transfer it because we like the way we do it. And after all, those young people, they would do it differently. And, you know, and they're not as mature as us. That's another reason. We, 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 we don't think they're as mature, so they're not ready and we enjoy the accolades if we're serious. Hey, great job. You taught well. You led well. That was awesome. We go, oh, stop, stop. Please stop, stop. Just, and, and we like it. And we're afraid that we might be marginalized and not have a ministry. So we have a bunch of older people, who, know, granted, people who know the things of God, love the things of God, and, are, and, and do love the Lord, but they aren't willing to transfer it because they're afraid to lose their station in ministry. But what if we decided that we would trust God and do it his way? What if we decided that we would always be people who invested in young people and believed in them and knew that they're not only the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today? This is something that's always been on my heart. If we did these things, we'd be fulfilling God's will in the scripture to disciple we'd be more fulfilled because we're doing it his way. When we invest in others, there's a richness. As a matter of fact, the older you'll get, the the more you'll realize that one of the best things you've ever done in your life is invest in another life because it keeps going even when you're gone. The kingdom would be advanced in a greater and more fruitful way if we'll do it the way the scriptures are 
showing here. I know it's the office of the prophet, but there's still this releasing ministry to another generation that can be seen here. We'd ensure that the kingdom would advance beyond our time if we do it God's way. If we don't do it, we're going to have churches filled with older people, and I've seen many of them, and so have you, who like the way they do things, ignore the needs of younger people in the culture, insist on carrying out the old traditions, and let me tell you, traditions are not the same as God's principles in the Word. You can have principles that, traditions that are fine, but have nothing to do with the Word of God. But you like it, okay, that's fine. But if you want to just carry on your traditions and not worry about them, you empty the sanctuaries of young people. You empty the church. You you, you cause the ones who want to come closer to God and get in right now that are young to say, I'm going to go another direction and find a place that will let me do something. Now that older church can still have good fellowship, right? We've seen them. They get together for their potlucks and they have fun and they're loving each other and they're loving Jesus too but they're doing it without the young people and then they grow older and when they die the church dies because it's done I thought of it this way what if grandma and grandpa are calling all the family to come over on a Friday night and have fun. But grandma and grandpa have decided we want them to spend time with us the way we like to spend time. So when the grandkids get there, they say to them and the kids, we're all going to the senior center tonight to play bridge with our friends and eat brand muffins. It'll be fun. <clears throat> so the kids go and they don't have fun and it's boring Guess what happens the next time grandma and grandpa say, hey, we'd like you guys to come over and spend some time with us. Well, if you have to spend the time the way they always like to spend it and you aren't even an uh, an afterthought, they're not going to want to come over as much. What if grandma and grandpa said, "What, what could we do? Well, let's go to the park and then the kids can play there and we can have a ball game going and we can sit and eat and you have all these places where kids can be and you can be interacting with them. Now you got something where everybody's enjoying themselves. Well, the church is a little bit like that. We can't just think of older people. What you see on this stage and the kind of music we do and even the volume we have the music at has all the generations in mind. This is a multi-generational church. We care about the older people. We care about the younger people. We believe that the most dynamic church is the church that's moving and growing together and caring about each other. And we believe that when young people are mentored, believed in, invested in, that something dynamic happens and they help you reach a culture that you couldn't reach otherwise if they weren't on board. Because God's working in and through their lives too. David was about 15 years old when he slew the giant. Mary, they say, was 16 years old or so when she gave birth to Jesus Christ. Don't tell me God doesn't use teenagers. Don't tell me he doesn't use younger people. Don't tell, what what do you do? Does Mary have to wait till she's 35 to have that baby because she's really got it all together? Or was it the purity of her heart that God saw and said, I'm gonna use you right now? See, when they get on board, they're gonna help us. And we want you on board. You say, what's young? I'll let you decide that. Okay, that's between uh, the voice of the Lord and you. But I like what it says in 1 Chronicles 12, 32. It says, the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 
And you know, there are the principles of God's word that never change, but the methods do. I like that saying, the methods are many, the principles are few. The methods can change, but the principles never do. Well, listen, I promise you, I, I, don't, I, I used to be a youth pastor, and every three or four years, the styles in the high school and the language would change. I know I stuck around a duck, decade, decade, hmm. <laughs> and, 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 I, and, I, and I saw how, you know, clothes change, words change. Uh, there were some similarities, of course, uh, but the way to reach kids changed a little bit too. You know how you want to reach people in the most effective way? And God can help us. We don't have to change the principles, but you better change your methods or you're going to end up with sanctuaries. And if we don't watch it, I'm talking about this church too. If we don't call these people young, young people forward, if we're not willing to mentor them and believe in them, then we'll be one of those churches someday. And I don't think God wants us to be one of those churches just full of old people who have no young people around. Because these things have happened this way, in many churches in America, there's more diapers in the sanctuary than in the nursery. It's time to let young eagles soar. It's time to believe in them. Second thought today, as we look at this text, the new generation must be willing to sacrifice. Let go of what they have to take hold of whatever God's saying take hold of. First Kings 19.20, Elisha had some decisions to make. He's a young man, got a good job, making money with his family and friends in town. Verse 20 says, he left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father, because he knew what that mantle meant that was laid upon him, that cloak. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I'll go with you. And Elijah replied, go back, but think about what I've done to you. Go back and think, counting the cost to step up and do what God's called you to do. Think of it now. He knows that Elijah was the prophet. He knows that he was brave and courageous. I don't know if he was there at Mount Carmel, but I promise you he's heard about it as an Israelite. He knows the miracles that have come about in Elijah's life. But he also knows this guy had it hard, that he was in isolation, that he lived in caves and slept under trees, and that often the king and the queen were after him to take his life. And, and so the guy lays the mantle on him and says, now you, and he's going, oh, really great. Awesome. Is that the life I want? He counted the cost. It made me think of that story. You may have heard it before about the little girl. Her daddy put her to bed one night. And you could hear her crying out in the darkness of her room a few minutes later saying, Daddy, I want a drink of water. He said, no, honey, you'll wet the bed. If you have some water, you just go to sleep. You're fine. A few minutes later, Daddy, I need a drink of water. He said, don't do that. I told you to be quiet now. You need to go to sleep. A few minutes later, Daddy, I need a drink of water. He said, one more time and I'm gonna come in there and spank you. There was a pause and her little voice said, when you come, bring water. She counted the cost and thought, I think it's worth it. Let's, let's go for it. <laughs> well, listen, when you think about spending your life to reach souls, that's living water. I just want to say to a younger generation, it's worth it. It's worth it. There's no better way that you could spend your life. The Bible says, he that wins souls is wise. 
I, I understand uh, the temptation not to move into these things. I was raised as a PK, a pastor's kid. And my mom and dad, uh, wonderful people, they, they pastored mostly smaller churches as we were, were, were growing up, but I saw them get treated pretty roughly along the way by some people in the church. It wasn't really something that I wanted to do. Um, we were also, in, by today's standards and, and America's standards, better to say, we were poor. They pastored small churches. There were times that we didn't know where our next meal would come and we, from, and we'd just pray, and the Lord would bring it. Often, my clothes were bought at Goodwill when I was a little boy. And I remember when I was 17 years old at Christmas, I got, I opened the gift, one gift under the tree, and it was a candle-making set that a nonprofit had brought to our house as a gift. That's what I got. It. So I tried to look as happy as I could look with that gift. Never made any candles, but I looked happy that morning. And after those kind of things, you know, my parents were awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm more blessed than than so many people, two parents who loved me and loved God and gave me an awesome heritage, so that was awesome. But as a result of those things, I didn't want to be a preacher because I equated it to poverty and I did not want to be poor. But along the way, the Lord just showed me that I was thinking wrong. He showed me that nothing's more important than a soul. Someone who would be lost for eternity being saved for eternity. What can be more important than that? He showed me that there would be no more meaningful or significant way that I could spend my life than to spend it totally for him. He let me know he'd take care of me. And eventually I surrendered. I'm not saying it's good to think the thoughts I thought. I'm just telling you I did. But eventually... I surrendered those things into God's hand and I said, okay, let's go, I'm in. I think that it's good to count the cost. I think it's good to say, okay, I, I can't, I won't pursue those things. Matter of fact, I have kind of an entrepreneurial mind and uh, I, I think I could make a lot of money. I know a lot of people think that and it doesn't work out for them. Um, but, but the Lord told me because of my mindset of ideas and things that I might move into, he told me early on, you can't be involved in other business. I want you to just focus on this and resist the temptation to, to make other streams of income. And so I said, okay. And it's, it's been way better than I ever thought, just way better. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> Elisha <clears throat> excuse me, would find that it would be way easier for him than Elijah. He didn't have to run and fear for his life all along the way. He had the the, the king's ear and authority would listen to him. He was honored more than Elijah was. Yet he didn't know that would be the case, right, when he came in. <clears throat> but I just want to say to you, when God calls, if you give your life away, you will find it. You will find what you were created to do. To be known in heaven is different than to be known on this earth. To be popular on this earth is different than to be popular in heaven. Here's a verse that the Lord gave me when I was a young person. As a matter of fact, I, uh, I still have a 10-page a paper that I wrote right off this verse where the Lord was really dealing with my heart about these things when I was at a, at a college. Matthew six nineteen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where, <clears throat> where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think of that. Where your treasure is, your heart will be there. So if we <clears throat> make Jesus our treasure, then we find ourselves doing his work and his will with eternal treasure that will be ours. Elisha had a decision like this to make, most likely, where he had to think about money. Because it says that he had 12 yoke of oxen in the field. That's probably a family field. He's running a team of oxen there. He's got a plow. If you have 12 plows moving at one time, you have a lot of land. And you have a lot of people that are working for you. And most likely, this, is a, this was a family that was very well off. So he has to think, will I give it up? Will I walk away from all these things? You know, I didn't say this in the last service, but I feel like I need to say it now. If you're a family member of a person who's feeling a call, and all of us are in the ministry. Some of us have it as a vocation where it's full-time the thing we do, but we're all full-time ministers even if we're not vocational. And, and we, have to, we have to make sacrifices and think of these things when the Lord calls us to do whatever he's called us to do, right? We have to give something up to take hold of something because we're all busy. But if God's calling you to something, the principle is let go of it and take hold of what he says and he'll bless it. There's sacrifice in it, yes, but there's blessing that is there. And this man <clears throat> had to let go of his, his oxen, but he had to, to some degree, let go of his, his heart to have treasure on this earth and even move away from his family. Pastor Jeff was here this morning. I remember him and Jenny, they came from Indiana. I remember how tearful she was to leave her family. Sees him once or twice a year. Hasn't seen him much since then. That was a sacrifice for ministry unto the Lord. Some of you, if you have a family member who's being called into ministry, your temptation is not, this is what I want to speak to. I want you to be careful. Didn't say this first service. Feel like I'm supposed to say it in this one. Be careful not to say to them, you won't be able to support yourself. You need to get a real job. Or to just feel in the back of your mind, oh man, they're, they're wasting their lives. What? What? If God calls them, they're going to be miserable if they don't do it, first of all. And secondly, they need your support. They need your love. They're about to make a sacrifice that will turn, turn into eternal treasure with souls that will come to Jesus. Be careful not to try to pull them away from the very will of God that he's calling them to if he's calling them to that vocation. Luke 9.62 we see Jesus talking about making that sacrifice. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And it means if God's given you a call, take hold of it and go. So in that sense, Elisha was leaving this plow on the farm to take this plow to make this furrow for ministry and plant and water and harvest in a different field for God. And he took hold of it. Now, I'm jumping a little ahead, but I, I, something's really significant to me here. And maybe it's for somebody here, um, this principle. But Elisha says yes to the call. He sacrifices the oxen, and he, he burns them up. That's his livelihood, by the way. He burns the plow. You don't have to burn the plow and, the, and sacrifice the oxen. Why does he do that? I believe that he knew there'd be a temptation for him to return if he just didn't ride it all off and say, okay. 
I'm leaving it behind. I'm not even going to let it be there to tempt me. I'm going for it. He burned the plow. We must be willing to burn the plow sometimes. Maybe let go of a dream we had. You know, I don't like the thought, just pursue your dreams. I don't really like it that much. You know I'm a dreamer, right? But here's what I like better. Pursue God's dreams for you. Because I know people have a lot of dreams that have nothing to do with God. And it might be admirable and it might be money and it might be things and it, it, it might be cool. But there's no better place to be than in the will of God. There just isn't. Your family does better, your heart does better, your life does better and we have to trust the Lord in these things and believe him for them. So it comes down to this. I like this line from Kelly Willard's song from years ago. Are you willing to give up the good things in life for the best? For some of you, it's not full-time ministry, but it's taking hold and starting a nonprofit. Sacrificing, you're working hard in another area, but you feel God calling you to do something here. And you're working that field, but nobody's with you at first, and then you get some resources, and then some people come on board, and God bursts things that way. He just does. And you have to be willing to be in for the journey and too often God's putting things on people's hearts and they're pushing them away and they never get into them. And you you say, God, where are you? I don't feel fulfilled in life. Well, follow him. That's where fulfillment is. Whatever he's calling you to is the best and the most rewarding and the most significant. Sometimes it means letting go of your livelihood, even your family, extended family, Take your wife and kids with you, please. Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice. That's heavy. Am I at the place, are you at the place where our lives are living sacrifices to God? God, you're in charge. You speak, I go. You help me know, I'll do. A living sacrifice that's holy, the kind he can accept, it says. When you think of what he's done for you, is this too much to ask? Third point this morning. The new generation must be willing to, to serve and to be mentored. And I, I put two things in there. I think the younger generation is willing to be mentored. I'm not sure they're very thrilled about serving Look at this, it's interesting. Verse 21, so Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build the fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople. It was basically a big party to say goodbye. They all ate and then he went with Elijah as his assistant. There's a place later on uh, when they're saying, is there a prophet among us? And they said, and, and they spoke of Elisha. He's the one that used to pour water on Elijah's hands. Interesting. He literally served him. To a younger generation, God not only wants you to serve people that are poor, he wants you to serve his spiritual leadership too. Here's the thing that I don't get. People don't realize that, that, that spiritual leaders who have authority are people too. That they hurt, just like everybody else. That they have failings at times that they sorrow when their loved ones die, that they don't always think spiritual thoughts, that sometimes they have fears too. Where are the people who are serving them? Where are they? To the young people of this generation, I want you to know, 
It's really encouraging when young people come alongside a leader and say, man, I really believe in you. You're you're strengthening them. And when you have that heart to learn, there's a fulfillment in their heart. It fulfills something in their heart to give. You must be willing to serve, but you must be willing to be mentored. We have some people among us today who are willing to be mentored. And I believe that there's seven, but I want those that are here in this room today that are going into our apprenticeship that starts in January. You've heard us talk about that. Where, where we're as pastors going to invest in them. I'd like those apprentices to stand right now, if you would. Here they are. Let's thank the Lord for these people. Can we do that? <clears throat> you can be seated. They're, they're going to give 15 hours a week in service. 15 hours, a portion of which we will pour into their lives to strengthen and to bless them. And I thank God for you guys. I thank God for your willingness. I believe God's gonna do great things in your lives, through your lives. And it's a privilege to be able to serve you. You know, if you're gonna do this where you, you open your heart and your life to saying, God, I'm, I'm ready, I'm in. <clears throat> and it's different for all of us. You're not in at that level, but you're in wherever he's calling you to go, right? But here's part of it. You must be humble. He went as Elijah's assistant, Elisha did. Just because you're willing doesn't mean you're ready. You need experience and understanding. Being mentored can save you from a lot of trouble that you'd find along the way that you'll just learn to steer away from because because of the discipleship and mentoring of those who've been there before. I remember years ago, the Smothers Brothers, that comedy duo, I saw them live in a show and one of the band members told one of the brothers to do something and he did it. And the other brother said, hey, why are you doing that? And he said, well, because he told me to. He said, do you do everything he does? He tells you to do? Do you do everything he tells you? He said, yeah. He said, well, if he told you to jump off a cliff, would you do it? And he said, well, not again. <laughs> <clears throat> We can be steered away from those things that are wrong and helped if we listen to the right people. You must be patient. Listen, I want you to minister today, but you must be patient to move into the fullness of what God's called you to because he prepares us and equips us for what's coming. I'm talking to a younger generation here now. Takes time to get ready. You can't see it in the text. It looks like it's just a few days. But if you look closely, it was about seven years that Elijah served, or Elisha served under Elijah as a servant and friend. Seven years after the cloak before he stepped into the full office of prophet in that day. He was mentored and prepared. And he did great. He didn't make some of the mistakes that Elijah made. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. At the right time. At the right time. You want to be prepared, but you don't want to go until it's time. You miss the timing of God, you've missed the will of God. 
and then to the older generation when they come and they're willing to be mentored and they have that humility and they have that patience. It still can't happen unless you're willing to mentor. We need people who are willing to sit with a cup of coffee across from someone, have them in their home, walk with them, do activities with them and pour the things of God into them and be willing to hand the ministry off so that great things can happen in this generation. We see it in the Bible where this kind of mentoring was going on in 1 Timothy 1-2 when Paul said to Timothy, my true son in the faith. A spiritual son, he's that close to him. They're walking together. He's investing in him. Timothy went on to be one of the greatest pastors in the New Testament. Pastored the church of Ephesus. As a matter of fact, he did better in Ephesus than Paul could do. Paul was an evangelist and he had this little thing that happened for him. Paul would always walk into a city but leave it running. Timothy could walk into that same city and keep the peace and cause the church to grow. Part of it was he was raised in a family where his mother was a believer and his dad wasn't. He knew what it was like to live in that environment and that's what you had to live in in Ephesus. A bunch of unbelievers who, who would mock at times. But he was prepared by God and then God's servant poured into him and he could do even more. I want to close by reading this story from Brad Paisley. You ever heard of him? 2008 country music uh, vocalist of the year. He's had 25 singles on the uh, Billboard Hot, Hot Country song charts. He had 16 number one hits. Paisley has. And he had 10 consecutive, over a two-year period, uh, 10 consecutive number one hits. T- 10 songs he released all went to number one. 2010, he was the entertainer of the year for country music. You've probably heard of Brad Paisley. But have you heard of Hank Goddard? Probably not. Hank Goddard died a few years ago and Brad Paisley wrote this for the local newspaper in the town that he grew up in as a tribute to Hank, his mentor. And I want to read you this from Brad Paisley to the community about his mentor. Paisley says, As barges go up and down our mighty Ohio River, they leave a tremendous wake. I think some lives are like that. One person in particular passed away last week that changed my life. And the Ohio Valley deserves to know more about him. His name was Clarence Goddard and his friends knew him as Hank. As a kid, my grandfather would tell me stories about this local legend, this guitar player named Hank Goddard, who was as good as anyone who'd ever held a pick. My grandfather worshipped Hank's talent and taught me to do it as well. I wasn't aware until later that the rest of the world didn't even know who Hank was. I was brought up to think he was as famous as they get. And I remember going to a weekend backyard party at Mayor Bird's house in Glendale. Hank was playing lead guitar and my papa took me over to him and sat me there to watch and learn and I couldn't believe this international superstar was so close. I figured he must be on break from touring the country and just playing here on his day off. And when he heard this eight-year-old boy had come to learn guitar and that I was there, Hank turned his back to the band and basically gave me a lesson as the band played on. That was the first of many lessons. At 11 years old, I was invited to play at a church picnic 
and Hank put together a small band for me, which went on to play at Glendale. Fire department parties, church events, clubs, VFWs, nursing homes, political rallies, fairs, infinity and beyond, he says. We were called the C-Notes because they got $100 at their first gig. Some people called them the C-Niles because of the old guys who played behind them, but... He said, some of you may remember us, a 12-year-old front man with three ARP members backing him up, Gene Elliott, Tom Beresford, and Hank, a semi-retired world-class lead guitarist who had played in the military in Europe with countless jazz and country bands over the years, and then in my band. I look back on my luck, and I can't believe it. Here was a man who was willing to take a kid under his wing. All the while, standing in the background, he was incredible. He could play anything from Chet to Les Paul, Hank Garland, Joe Pass. And yet, if you look back at those videotapes, there I am with my cheap Japanese Strat flogging away and playing out of tune with him grinning ear to ear. No ego about it. A master guitarist standing in the shadows, letting an unpolished little upstart take the lead. When someone would gush about his talents, he would blush and say they were too kind. When we were paid well for a gig, he would come over to my dad and say, let Brad have most of it. He's the front man. He insisted I take a solo in every song right next to him. He would hold back and make sure I never looked out of my league. He was humble and selfless. He taught me how to lead a band and he treated everyone with respect and kindness. He led his family in the same gentle way. He was an incredible father, husband, grandfather, worker, and friend. I learned so much from him, from how to treat people to how to handle praise. And so I spent the bulk of my career trying to honor him. I talked to him in interviews. I mentioned with pride the way I was taught by the master. And I wanted to write this today, he says, to the local paper in that community, I wanted to write this today because I feel so strongly that his talent was extraordinary. I want my hometown to feel pride in his life and the overabundance of talent we're so blessed to have in this area. It's not right that he passes on silently without recognition, he says. If you know who I am, if you've enjoyed my songs on the radio, if you've ever wondered how I got to this level, well, one person is at the top of the list who's responsible His name was Clarence Hank Goddard. He left a wake the size of a river barge. I will spend all my days trying to live up to the example that he set for me with this career that he made possible for me. I thank God, he says, for Hank Goddard. There it is. For many of us, if we will mentor, we will find in our latter days it's the best thing we did in our lives. We invested, we gave, we loved, and it lives on. And it really is doing what the Bible says to do. It's making disciples. Jesus came to them and said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Invest in people. You can't make a disciple without walking with them. Discipleship's not 12 lessons out of a book. Jesus sat on a stump around a fire and talked with those disciples. 
I believe if we do these things, this body will flourish, that the work of God will flourish into Walton through Horizon Community Church. And that more importantly, the kingdom of God will be built in a great way here and beyond.